So I want you to look at, please, the end of Romans 5, which is Romans 5, verse 20. And it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that principle of where sin abounds, grace abounds more, or the principle where God says his grace is sufficient for us. Um, you can't out-sin God's grace. You can't out-sin God's love. And because we are not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith, <clears throat> and, and works don't save us, then obviously it doesn't make sense that you would have to work to keep it. We are sealed to the day of redemption. Which brings us to chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? One of the reasons why the doctrine of salvation by works, even though the Bible clearly says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, um, but the reason why that is, there's two reasons why mankind tends to want to grab onto this. One is it allows us to boast. The Bible says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if we have a part of our salvation, it gives us something to boast about. And so because we can't and the law teaches us that there's nothing we can do, our righteousness is as filthy rags, um, then we eliminate that part of works. However, then it does bring this question. Also, are you just saying we can do whatever we want and God's just going to forgive us? If you're a Christian, yes. Yes, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. So then comes the question. And kids ask this question a lot and adults can ask it too. So are you saying we can just do whatever we want and God will still forgive us? And the technical answer to that question is yes. But the spiritual theological answer to that question is verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul, in writing, anticipates the question that when you really get down to salvation by grace alone, this is always their response. There was a historical man named Rasputin, and Rasputin had the belief or it was, I don't think it was a belief, but it was a philosophy that the more you sin, the more grace God gives you. So the key to happiness in life is to just keep sinning. He was completely wrong. I think it was just an excuse to sin, which we see all the time in the world today. So this is the answer, this chapter, to that question. The natural question of, okay, God has spent five chapters explaining to us how it's all by God's grace and your sins are forgiven. So now what do we do? Do we continue in sins? Well, what's the answer in verse 2? 
Certainly not. Or in the old King James, it says, God forbid. I prefer the God forbid because that's something my mother used to say all the time. She had a big New York accent and she was angry a lot. And, and when she was fighting with my dad, those were words that she would use. And when I saw them in the scripture, it, just, it means that God just won't allow it. Certainly not. And the explanation is going to be, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? And so this is really the premise of this chapter. The Bible says we were born dead in our trespasses and sin. So we were dead in sin before our salvation. After our salvation, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. We are new creatures. We are changed. The point isn't, well, now that I'm a Christian, can I just do whatever I want? That is a, a, a question that is to get a person off track. The truth is, if I'm a Christian, what I want to do is going to change. And if you are truly a believer in Christ, sin just makes you sick to your stomach. The fact that you would disappoint God, it would, it, it, it just, if you are truly born again, a new creature in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, your response to sin changes. Instead of it bringing you enjoyment, it brings you guilt and shame. And so you would never ask this question if you were truly born again. You wouldn't go to God and say, oh, can I start sinning now? No, it, it changes. Your whole desire changes. Verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So let's look at this word baptized just for a second. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13 says this. As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body in Christ. For by one spirit, we were baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And the many members of Christ are described in these verses, 1 Corinthians 12, as being baptized into one body. So the word baptism or baptized in the Greek means to immerse, to be a covered. There's a, there's a verse in scriptures where they ask Jesus about sitting at his right hand. And he says, you do not want to, uh, you, you don't know what you're asking to be baptized into my suffering. And so the idea is not just when you see baptism in the Bible, it's not exclusively going into water and being baptized. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is a complete immersion of God's righteousness. That, that God, the blood of Christ, what can wash away my sins? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that washing away is meaning that we are now immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. That's the baptism, to be immersed in God. To be baptized into the body of Christ is to be completely immersed in Christ, completely uh, a part of his body. And physical baptism, the, the uh, immersion of your body into water is a physical picture of what God has spiritually done for you. That John Flanagan, at the age of 19, was living in his old nature, his old man. And that old person that knew nothing about God, that person is dead. That person has been buried and now I walk in a new life. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God, 2 Corinthians 5. And that's a physical picture of my spiritual baptism. So he says, do you not know as many of us who were baptized, that is cleansed of our sins into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in newness of life. So what is the answer to the question? The answer is, of course not. Certainly not. God forbid. If you're truly a Christian, you are changed. You are different. And I had a, someone come up angry. Someone was really mad at me after the message this morning. They came up and they grabbed this police officer and they said, you want this moved? There, I can move it myself. And so that person's in this old person. That person is uncomfortable with the gospel to a new creature all things are, are great. All things are of God. And, and the thought of doing something to disappoint your Lord and Savior is heartbreaking. The guilt and the shame, it's overwhelming. So what? Are we just going to continue living our old life? Not if you're truly saved. It won't even be a desire anymore for you. We do know that many will say, Lord, Lord. And God will say to them, I never knew you. And I believe you can get a hint of those who can live. Look, I'm not saying that we're going to be sinless. It's not what, and we'll, we'll see that as we go through this chapter. But a Christian living in sin with no guilt and shame or actually condoning sin, whether it's homosexual pastors or, or things of that ilk, you just have to assume the Holy Spirit's not working. Not to judge from the outside, but God says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll be changed. That's what this is about. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So I, I, the key words there are likeness. This, this outward baptism is a picture. And it looks like the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And there is a difference. There is a difference between the slavery of sin and the fall of a Christian on certain days or certain, uh, certain moments in their life where they stumble. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David was a liar. But he was also a man after God's own heart. Psalm 51, he cries out to God. He doesn't continue in sin. My sin is ever before me, he says to God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't continue with it, make excuses for it. He changes. And there is that old person we used to be. And according to verse 6, that is the person that is crucified. Uh, turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is some pretty basic Christianity for us. However, it's, it's good to see that, that God deals with this subject of the old man quite a bit in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, and start in verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind, that you put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So in that verse, those verses, Ephesians chapter 4, we again see that that phrase, putting off the old man. Um, if you look at verse 23 of that verse, what is the process of putting on, off the old man and putting on the new man? In verse 23, how do we, we do it? By the renewing of your what? Of your mind. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The gospel in Christ was never meant to be presented on a solely emotional level. And many, 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 I, I, I'm, not, I'm not being critical. It, it, it's an observation that is truth. We are relying on drawing crowds to churches through emotions. And we are not transformed through emotions. Emotions are up and down and up and down. Uh, we are transformed through the word. We are transformed through study and through prayer like we talked about this morning. Uh, I'll prove it to you again in scripture. Uh, turn, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3, just a couple chapters over. Verse 9. Well, let's look at verse 8. Colossians 3, verse 8. Now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So you put off that old philosophy, that old thinking, that old uh, worldview, and you replace it with a new worldview, with a new philosophy, and you put it on with Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We just had a wana, which tell in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. This idea of changing, that all man is dead, and so we have to, to take what I used to believe, what I used to think about heaven, what I used to think about creation, what I used to think about what was sin or not sin. And, and that's where this moral relativity comes in, in which in churches today we have adopted this thing that, yeah, well, if, if it's really not sin, and you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, well, you know, God never specifically says not to have an abortion. Well, boy, you're just messing around with, with morals. You know God says thou shalt not kill. And you know what's wrong. And so let's go back to Romans 6. So this idea that continuing in sin is actually not changing at all and keeping that old man working. Verse 7 of Romans 6. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, verse 6 said. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, salvation is not... I'm going to um, walk you through uh, something for a second. The Bible says in, in Acts 16.31, the answer to Paul, the answer to the question asked of Paul by the Philippian jailer, the question was, what must I do to be saved? What was the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There are many people who want Jesus Christ to be their Savior, but they do not want Jesus Christ to be their Lord. Nowhere in Scripture does it work that way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, and believe in your heart he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And what? Not do the things that I say. People, many cases, want a savior. They don't want to go to hell. That, that's not the process. The process is that we leave our old man, reckon him to be dead, and we now are dead to our old life and alive to Christ. We're completely changed. When the Bible says that we're new creatures, it says all things are of God. Everything's about God now. So... If everything's about God, would that person then just continue in sin? Certainly not. 
Of course you wouldn't, because you're a new person. And if you have come and given your life to Christ, and you're no different than you were before, then we go back to Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and do, what's the next part of it? Believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. So do you believe it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. But if you're not doing anything Jesus says to do, then you obviously don't believe he's Lord. Does that make sense to everyone? I, I am so convinced that this book teaches lordship salvation. It's salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord means master. And Jesus said it himself. Don't call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say. And if I'm not your Lord, I'm not your Savior. If Jesus is your Lord, you are saved. But you can't have the Savior without the Lord. Nowhere in Scripture does it work that way. So if that's the case, and Jesus is my Lord, then would I continue in sin? Certainly not. God forbid. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't happen. So the question is a mute question. It's a question that has to be answered because Paul knows it's going to be asked. But the answer is, of course you wouldn't, because you'd be a whole different person. Don't you understand what we're talking about? Don't you understand how salvation works, he says to them? Therefore, verse 12, because we're living, dying to self and living for Christ, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you shall obey it in its lusts. So, this idea of, of him talking about continuing in sin, that idea of continuing in sin or sin having, uh, being a slave to sin, or in this verse it talks about that you are, uh, sin reigns in your body. This is not talking about the, 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 the falls of, of a person, of a Christian who falls into sin. They, uh, say something they shouldn't say, do something they shouldn't do. They go to God and they repent and, and get back on track. This is talking about being a Christian and living a continual life gripped by sin that you don't have any problem with. He says that's you got to let that go. And here's how you let it go. Verse 13, this is very important. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is a very key thing to, to a Christian who might struggle with sin. Idle hands don't, don't make for, for great activities. Uh, Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. We understand that the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. In order for us to keep our members, and when it talks about members, it's talking about your hands and your eyes and your feet. If you lose a finger, you're dismembered. So it's those members that they need to be doing something. Christians shouldn't sit idle. They should be in some type of ministry, whether it is homeschooling your children, whether it's handing food out at Nineveh, whether it's teaching kindergartners, whether it is... Um, uh, having a ladies Bible study, whatever it might be, you're supposed to be serving God. You are living for Christ. Hi guys, we're in Romans 6.
And so we are dead to the old way we used to live. And so if your members tend to get yourself in trouble and your eyes look at things they shouldn't look at or your hands do things they shouldn't do, take your life and find a ministry. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. Use your mouth for good. Use your eyes for good. Use your hands for good. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So therefore, sin no longer reigns in your, in your life. It doesn't have dominion over you. When you were born again, and, and you were baptized by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, and you're that new creature, you have victory over sin and victory over death. So now go out and serve God. You're, you're perfectly qualified to do so. And you can go and serve him. And if you're not, you will tend to stumble into sin. It just happens. It's, it's just the way of, of, of the human race. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, 14 and 15 says this. As for you, brethren... Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You have to obey the word. And if you happen to be around people not obeying the word, pray for them, but probably need to step away and, and be around people who are obeying God. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And it just seems to be, it's much easier for a person to be a bad influence on a Christian than Christians be good influence on people. Just, it, it, it doesn't work that way. So, so be not weary in doing good. Don't get tired of it. Keep serving God. Present those instruments. It is the key, in my opinion, as I read the scriptures, to keeping ourselves away from the potential to really stumble, to be doing and serving. So then verse 15 changes just a little bit. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? It looks like it's the same question as verse 1, but there's a subtle difference in it. Verse 1 says, shall we continue in sin? That denotes just continuing your sinful life without changing at all. Not going to happen. In verse 15, shall we sin? In other words, does it matter if we stumble occasionally? And the answer is the same answer. Certainly not. Just because we're under grace doesn't mean God doesn't care. Look, at here's the thing about sin. The reason God tells you to do things because it'll help your walk and, and help your love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. And the reason God tells you not to do things is because they hurt you and they hurt others. These aren't just a set of rules because God wants to have dominion over us and doesn't want us to have any fun. In fact, he wants, the Bible says in John 15, that he wants his joy to remain in us. And that our joy might be full. So God says, here's how you're going to be the ultimate happy and joyful. Do these things here 
and don't do these things here. And we as human beings don't work that way very well because when we're walking down the street, we ignore every sign except the sign that says don't walk on the grass. And then as soon as we see a sign that says don't walk on the grass, we wanna walk on the grass. Even though we've just passed seven houses that didn't have a sign, so we didn't even think about walking on their grass. But the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So this idea of, of, of presenting your bodies as instruments of righteousness and on those occasions that you sin, grace covers that sin, but you've got to stop. You've got to repent. Don't let those sins have dominion. Don't let them reign. Don't let them be uh, your slave master. Do you see? He keeps using this language. That sin grips you. Verse 16, Romans 6. This is a very important principle here. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Matthew 16, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. The Bible tells us that before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. And sin in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life can grip you and destroy you. And we see how many sins in the world are people addicted to? You know, and, and they have to go to counseling in order to get, I just, I can't defeat, I just, my anger, I, I can't get control of it, I keep losing my temper, I'm addicted to pornography, or I'm addicted to drugs, or I'm addicted to alcohol, I'm just addicted to the, I'm just addicted, I can't stop. Well, nobody over here says, boy, I'm just addicted to broccoli, or I'm addicted to praying for people I'm just uh, I just can't stop being nice to people it's just every time I just oh, every time I did doctor help me every time someone does something I have to say thank you and please I don't know what's wrong with me we don't get addicted the other way but we become slaves to sin and so the way to break this the the, the uh, hold of sin is to make yourself a slave to God Paul says that I have made myself, uh, even though I am not bound to serve anybody, I have made myself a servant to all. That by uh, whatever means it would take, I might win some. And I have made myself a bond servant to Jesus Christ. And that bond servant is, is technically a volunteer slave. It's a picture of, in the Israelite laws of Moses, you could have slaves, but you would have to set them free. On certain days, the Jubilee days, and you would set all of your slaves free. But a slave could voluntarily say, no, you're such a great master. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay here. And they would take this little 
all and they would put it through their ear and that would denote that they belonged to this owner. And that's what we are to do. And we are taking ours. Jesus has set us free. You're going to heaven. Sins are washed away. As far as the east is from the west. And you can certainly do whatever you want in your life now. Because Christ has washed your sins away. And our response to that is. Well I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to go back to the world. I didn't. I didn't. I, I came to you because I hate that life. No God I hear. I present myself to you as a bond servant because whoever you if you're not obeying God you're obeying the lusts of the world we see it if you read Romans 1 we went over this a few weeks ago a couple months ago now that's all that's happening in the world people can't stop sinning and and it's the L. Well, L's not enough. We need a G, then the P, then the T, then the Q, then the R, then the... Now it's got a question mark at the end of it. And they just keep adding sins to it because sin never satisfies. The lust of the flesh is never satisfied. And they get darker and deeper and more enslaved to it to the fact that... Is it, is it not bizarre that people's complete identity today is based on their sexual activity. That's the slavery of sin. The slavery of sin. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you shall become slaves to righteousness and that's the key you read this book and if God says stop doing something you stop it if God says to do something you do it you may not even know why you're not doing it or why it's, you're supposed to do it but you are now a slave to Christ and to what he says is right I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh this is a pretty deep subject he's talking about. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawless deeds leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And this is very common practice in, in, in the 2000s. People don't want to go to hell. They don't. Hell scares them. They want God to love them. They want to, to go to a better place when they die. But church, ah, can't we just have, I can just have church at home, can't I? I, I don't have to read. The, the, uh, I, don't, you know, I, I don't like singing and that whole, uh, uh, and I still want to live with my girlfriend. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, in God's eyes, we're still married. And I, you know, uh, God turned water into wine. So if I get drunk on weekends, God turned water into wine. So, you know, that's okay. And, you know, God loves everybody. And I was born this way anyway. So God is the one who made me. Uh, to be gay so that's got to be okay with God because that's how he created me and my teacher told me in kindergarten I was that way and and we get so the Bible says in Romans 1 that suppressing the truth will lead to debased minds and we live in a culture of debased minds and he says look at you need to take your members that were 
slaves to the lawless deeds. We couldn't stop sinning. We couldn't stop. And God has rescued us from that lifestyle, rescued us from, uh, from that slavery. And now we're free for righteousness. Verse 21 is a very good verse. What fruit did you have in the things which you are now ashamed? But the end of those things is death. And he brings up a good point. You come to God and say, Oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. My life has fallen apart and I lost my job and my marriage has fallen apart. And Lord, I'm a dick. God, can you free me? And God says, Yes, I forgive you. I wash you of your sins. Thank you. I'm going to go back to the life I'm just begging God to... It had no fruit. It, it's a dog, the Bible explains it, returning to his vomit. It's disgusting. And I don't know why dogs do that. My dog does it. And that's how we have to get him. And we, we'll hear him. Well, you can always hear the dog when he's lost his dinner. And you've got to get out there because the next thing you're going to do is start eating it. That's what it is to you to, to be delivered from the life of sin and then say, oh, thank you, Jesus, and then go back. I thought, I thought that's why you came to Jesus in the first place. For the end of those things is death, but now, having been set free from sin, verse 22, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. What's the choice? Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the answer to the question is very simple. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course not. God forbid. Certainly not. You're a new person. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to be enslaved to that? But understand, while your old man is crucified... That person is gone forever. Your flesh remains. And the flesh dwells no good thing. Paul struggles with it, and you're going to struggle with it. And the way to, to alleviate that struggle is to make yourself a slave to this book and to Jesus Christ and to the service of your Lord and Savior. Present your members as instruments of righteousness. And if you're doing that, if your time is filled with doing good, as Christ did, went about doing good, it, it alleviates those moments of temptation, those moments of, of potential falling. It's a beautiful chapter. It's very deep. People have debated it a long time. But uh, it's, it's not as complicated as people make it. You were sinners. God's forgiven us our sins. Why would we want to go back if we're new creatures? It doesn't make any sense. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this amazing chapter. Thank you for Becky tonight sharing with the kids. We pray for her and Hans. Good to see them healthy and doing well. I continue to pray for Netta. They're uh, not expecting her to make it. Her heart is really faint, and it's up to Esther to... Um, make the decision to turn the final machines off on her and she's really struggling with that Lord and the family won't let her, doesn't want her to and yet it's her responsibility and Lord she knows that Netta is a believer and really feels as if God will take her at that time or, or not. They're really praying Lord 
that God, you would take her before they have to make a decision about turning off this machine. So we just pray, Lord, for Esther and Deborah and Marlena as they deal with this difficult situation. We thank you for your uh, word. Help us to follow it in Jesus' name. Amen.